Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome to Christ Church. Um, I, I don't know about you, but um, every time that we enter into this room and we prepare uh, for this time together, or whether you're joining us here in the room or online, um, we just believe that when God's people gather together, um, God does supernatural things in our midst. And uh, man, there is a reason why this rhythm of a gathering together as God's people is so important to us. And uh, it not only is encouraging to our souls, it is a stirring to our uh, relational needs. And it is also something that helps us uh, just sort of recalibrate the direction we need to go in our lives. And so, um, just so thankful you're here. Uh, this is week two um, of the Start Here series, and uh, last week we worked through our mission statement, and we said, you know, the mission statement here at Christ Church is we exist to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. And uh, um, I'm thankful for the feedback I, I got um, from so many of you. Uh, it's always encouraging to sense our people sort of rallying behind that, and uh, it was awesome. Um, one sweet couple in our church was so purposeful. They uh, spend their winters in Fort Myers, uh, Florida, and they heard the message online, and they sent me this picture from the church they attend down there. And uh, here's the picture. And they were like, it sort of seems like a lot of churches think the same. And I'm kind of like, yeah, that's because we're not trying to be clever. Like, both our name, Christ Church, and our mission is so clearly been attested to uh, by so many because it comes straight from Scripture, and uh, it was just encouraging to me and encouraging to see uh, people in our church living in another state during a season when, you know, Florida's a little nicer than here, and, uh, but just so encouraged by our alignment together. And so, uh, this morning, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to uh, begin to work through uh, sort of our sharpened and expanded pillars of Christ Church. The pillars is just a reference because we all get like pillars are things that support structures and, um, and the pillars are intended to, uh, in our church, kind of support and undergird the mission. It's how that we as a church fulfill the mission. Since we started in 2015 as a church, there were four pillars when we started then. It was these four pillars, unapologetic preaching, unashamed worship, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. And as we reviewed this and as we considered our alignment today with uh, churches in Great Commission Collective and really the heart of our church, we uh, sensed that there were some ones that were missing in emphasis and were kind of uh, down with the uns, um, lots of uns and nots in our world today. We wanted something a bit more clear, and so here are the six pillars of our church moving forward. These are the same as the Great Commission Collective Distinctives, our association of churches. It is bold preaching, passionate worship, fervent prayer, courageous evangelism, purposeful discipleship, and strategic church planting. This is nothing new. These have been the things we've been chasing after. We just want to be more purposeful to uh, assure ourselves that these are the pillars that are under our life and under our mission. And so I'm going to establish them and walk through them biblically uh, one by one in the coming weeks. And so today, bold preaching. Let's pray before we begin. God, I just um, <clears throat> feel so needy as your... Um, person that you've called to today to um, communicate this message, and I'm asking that in the, 
the, the fragile reality of life and leadership and fulfilling the mission and standing up and proclaiming these pillars, I pray today that, uh, God, with, um, with great humility, I just pray that you would speak. I, I pray that you would awaken hearts to your word in ways that I cannot. I pray that your spirit would align us and that we would come together with the fullness of this verse that's in front of us. And so I pray that you do that by the power of your spirit for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. <clears throat> do you guys love the moment? Um, I love this. When you meet someone new or sometimes when you, when you watch someone meet someone else for the first time and it's that moment when they find out or you find out that you share a common interest with someone, right? You're just like, oh, me too. They share something and you're like, me too. And they kind of light up, right? And you discover maybe that, that you're in the same field uh, for work or you find out that you went to the same college or that you grew up in the same area. And when that common interest is revealed, it's almost as if you start speaking another language, right? There's like this little code language that you start communicating in, especially if it's in a field of work that no one around you understands. Everybody's just like, okay, they clearly have a common interest. There's a sense of unity that you have in that moment that causes you to go, me too, me too, me too. And familiarity, listen, familiarity breeds community. And commonality draws you together with other people. Here at Christ Church, one of our pillars is bold preaching. And as we're going to get to unpack this, it's preaching God's word. At our church, God's word is our shared interest. Where else do you go that, a, that, that every single week a, uh, the same book is opened and a message is communicated and, and a truth that's flowing through all the words that we just sang and there's a commonality there, the scriptures. 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. It's really, as one author has, has said numerous times in his writings, it's a shared script for our life. On the stage of life, this is our script and we're practicing it and working in it and emerging into the, the, the character, the person that God's called us to be. It's our common language. But God forbid that it's only our common language in Sunday services. See, church, we want the word of God to be the most common and valued interest in all relationships, in all situations. That's why the big move for today is simply this, preach God's word boldly. I just, I just took bold preaching and turned it into an encouraging sentence, okay? Nothing, nothing tricky there. Preach God's word boldly. Get your Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And there... In Paul's writing to Timothy, this young leader in the church, he says this. <clears throat> he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There it is, one verse with a lot to unpack. Bold preaching, four critical principles right from this passage. First one is this, preach what? Preach God's word. Preach God's word. See, you're not called to, um, as a follower of Christ, you're not called to like preach about anything. The primary focus of your preaching should not be uh, my experience with God's word, but it should be God's word. 
<clears throat> there's a place for talking about how to apply it. There's a place for illustrating it so that people understand what some of the words mean for today. But primarily preach God's word. And our bold preaching and our understanding of it, let me just be super clear, it has clearly defined boundaries. Here's what we understand God's word to be from our doctrinal statement. It's right from our website. It's this. Follow along. Because you've got to understand what the implications of I want you to feel the weight of the statement. Not just information. Oh, I agree. But is your life increasingly reflecting it? If it is, you'll begin to preach God's word, I promise. We believe that the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament are God's revelation of himself to mankind. Just there is enough for me to like say amen and go home and be stirred up. We believe the 66 books of the Bible were written by different men writing according to their own styles and personalities but supernaturally moved along by the Holy Spirit to record God's very words. It's not just a book at that point. Inerrant in the original writings. <clears throat> Therefore, those applying themselves to study its literal, the actual words, historical grammatical context, how the words are formed and the history around some of them that helps us understand it at different times, can accurately understand God's word. Scripture is trustworthy, it's trustworthy, complete and sufficient, has the supreme and final authority for all of life. <laughs> that is why we're preaching it. That's why the preaching of the word must be bold. If you want to look at other verses, there's more than just 2 Timothy 4. Trust me. Here's some other verses that sort of defend that um, statement. If you want to take a moment to copy those down as I move on, we'll leave those up for a few seconds. It might be a great encouragement for you to understand and read those. They all just illustrate the boundaries in which we preach. We preach God's word. Uh, boundaries are important for lots of things, aren't they? <clears throat> if you have no boundaries in your life, that's a problem. Uh, boundaries, um, like, like for instance, um, boundaries for driving are really important. I know we just take them for granted today, but like, think about it. The roads, that's a boundary. Aligns, lights, signs. Those are really critical. Like, they're critical for protection. They keep us from just slamming into one another is we're just like, the intersection is mine. I'm free to go. It, it, it helps us focus. We, we look almost without thinking as you drive year over year over year. You don't even think. You just see the lights and the lines and the signs and they just kind of keep you going in the right direction with some relative safety. It helps you with purpose. It, it helps you to move from one place to another with safety. Can you imagine the stress and anxiety that would come from driving if there were no boundaries. Just a free for all. I probably wouldn't be living today, to be honest. <clears throat> and so, so in the same way, bold preaching must have boundaries to protect, to give us focus and to give us purpose. I mean, look, look, look what it says in, in the following verses in 2 Timothy 4. Look in your Bibles. Look what it says right after this verse. It says, for the time is coming, and it's here, I promise you, when people will not endure sound teaching. That's safe. It's clarified, defined. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth 
and wander off into myths. <clears throat> Turn away and wander off. <laughs> this, is, this is what happens if we don't stay within the boundaries of what God's word teaches. I mean, if, the, if, you just, if you turn away and wander off while driving a car, it's, it's going to be an accident. And if our preaching is not within the bounds and the boundaries of God's word, then our preaching will do the same. What are you preaching or proclaiming? What are you preaching or proclaiming from your life? Examine your communication. Is God's word being preached from your life? If you want to grow in this, um, <clears throat> some of you might be like, where do I start? Where do I start? I, uh, God's word is so intimidating to me, and, and I, I get that. I understand that. I, um, start, start by preaching God's word to yourself. Start by preaching God's word to yourself. Read the Bible. Listen to this. Read the Bible for transformation, not just information. That's why when you came in this morning, we gave you this little handout one of the things that's been really helpful to many of our people, including myself, in my personal time with God's word is um, starting a hear journal. And a hear journal is simply this. It's a, it's a journal of paper. You read the Bible. You get a chapter in front of you. You start in John or Psalms and, 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 and you read through the chapter. And as you read through the chapter, you just got a journal. And all you're doing is you're doing four things. One, H, highlight. Two, E, explain. Just what is it saying? What is it saying? Highlight. What are some things that just kind of jump off the page to me? Uh, apply. Well, how can this help me? What does it mean today? How should this change the way I think about God or the way I live? And so I write some application things down and I want to apply it to my life. And then finally I respond. Because it's not just an encounter with a book. It's an encounter with the person of God. And so my response could be a prayer that I write out. Hey, God, I... I'm confronted with this truth and I know this is not right in my life right now. Would you work in me? And now what we start to orient our life in is we start to think about reading the Bible for transformation, not information. We need it because otherwise it can just become this activity that we do. And once it starts to transform you, I promise you'll preach it. You'll preach it. You'll be talking about it and sharing it with people. Make sure the Bible is preaching to you before you preach to others. Preach God's word. That's the first part of a bold preaching. Second is this, prepare for any opportunity. Be ready in season and out of season. Now, what's interesting about this as I was studying this is Paul actually is responding to a really common cultural concern. Um, it wasn't just within the church where people communicated. Actually, at the time that this was written, oftentimes um, philosophers or sages or these like learned, smart, educated people would get up and they would have a little following of people just like Jesus had disciples. These teachers would have disciples and they had this a pretty well-crafted idea that um, hey, we need to be really sensitive about the best time to communicate if we want to persuade people. And so they had these sort of ideas around this and sort of sometimes these written or unwritten rules. It was kind of like the strategy to persuade someone. Like we all understand that like right before you go to sleep is not the best time for persuasion, right? 
like no couple wants to have a hard uh, um, discussion right before you go to bed. It normally doesn't end well. You're like, if I'm going to persuade something or if we want to resolve this, mm, there's a, probably a better time. And what Paul's responding to here in Timothy is like, you cannot regard those unwritten or written rules. He's calling Timothy to ignore this cultural concern. He's like, preach God's word in season and out of season. Because there's no season where you stop preaching God's word. Like, I I know some of you are going to laugh at me for this, but like, do you you guys know the the best season uh, to plant grass? I found it out like two years ago. Okay, honest confession. The, the best season to plant grass is late summer and fall. I always thought spring. It's like, oh, spring, it's nice. It's when you plant grass. But they say that late summer, fall is when sort of you're out of the hardest, harshest times of the summer and you want to get the, the grass to, to sort of develop some root system before the winter comes. And... Um, As I was thinking about that, I realized, you know, in Luke 8, Jesus uses seed as an illustration for the word of God. And for sure, um, the environment or the culture in um, the Middle East was harsher for growing anything than it is in Michigan. And, and, And the point that God is making when he uses the word of God as seed is that um, that's very similar to the way that God's word is planted on our hearts and grows is similar to um, uh, like grass and, and the agricultural reality in our world. But here's the thing, God's word can bear fruit in any season because it's supernatural. Like, it doesn't play within the rules. When you preach God's word, you're spreading seed what you're doing and you're just trusting that God you're not looking like going oh is this the right time to communicate God's word in this situation or in this circumstance there's times I stand up here and because I know the situations that are going on in people's lives I know without a question even in talking to the person after in the fundamental weeks I know that when I communicated that word to them it was not received it fell on hard ground but you don't stop because, because God works by his spirit and, and it's God's work in God's time and, and, and we just deposit it on human hearts and we trust that God will bear the fruit in his time because God can work in any season. Any season. Don't consider the season when deciding if you should preach God's word. Just keep spreading it. You know what? What, what God wants is not our strategic planting. God just wants our saturation of God's word. Just keep saturating it. Just keep saturating it. God's word is supernatural. It can bear fruit at any time. It can work its way through the power of the spirit of God. I've seen it. I've seen it. It can work its way into the human heart even when the ground is frozen and covered with two feet of snow. I've seen moments where in what seemed to be the hardest heart, you just start to see it, start to take root and and it start to grow up. Yes, 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 there's, there's times in the early, the late summer and early fall when you like plant the seed and it's like immediately it bursts into a tree. You're just like, what in the world? There's times that are certainly more fertile for that, but God can work any time his word is preached. 
I mean, how many of you have had a season of your life like I know I have? When God's word was planted and it fell on hard soil. And then, and then over time, it's sort of, that the, the word just sort of stuck with you. How many of you have had the, the moment where there's that, that, that phrase or that word in the, in the scriptures that just sort of seems to get inside you and even despite your, your, your greatest rebellion, you're like, it's still there. It's still there. It's, it's in my mind. It's, it's moving its way to my heart and you're like, sometimes I feel like, like, like sometimes you can see people like, no, stay away. And even in your resistance, God through his spirit just finds a hole in an opening and before you know it, it's stabbing right to the division of soul and spirit and it's convicting you and it's taking root. Prepare for any opportunity. In our weekend services, in community groups, in counseling, in our homes, with our children, preach the word in season and out of season when people seem ready to receive and when people seem ready to reject it. With everyone, everywhere, every day, preach the word, spread it. Church, we're going for a saturation, not strategy. Scripture is trustworthy, complete, and sufficient as the supreme final authority for all of life. God can work any time. My challenge to you is, when you're preaching God's word, are you looking to the person or are you just looking to be faithful to God? And yes, I'm gonna talk about the character of how we share in a few moments, but certainly we wanna preach the word, we wanna be prepared for any opportunity, preach God's word boldly, that's the second one. The third principle is this, lead to transformation. Lead to transformation. So after this, (coughs) God says this, he says, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I, I, j- I just want you for a moment just to kind of see how these, um, I want you to see how these kind of words work. Because um, these words uh, were not chosen off kind of the top of Paul's mind. He wasn't like, okay, well, what are some characteristics of God's word? Let me just think of a few. And he didn't just think of a few off the top of his head and just kind of write them down and be like, okay, that's good. I, 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 this will work. No, these are purposeful. I want you to see how these words, specifically crafted by God's spirit and written down uh, through the life of Paul, are a guide to transformation. I wanted to encourage you. I want you to see how what God's trying to do in this is he's trying to transform you into the likeness of Christ. What these words are is they're like, they're like signposts in uh, the move of, of, of transformation. We work through them as God's word works on us. And the first one is, um, is reprove. So, th- so the first place you come when transformation comes is you come to reprove. And, and what reprove is, is reprove means to um, expose sin, or the word I want to use is ungodliness. This is, this is what reprove does. When God's word is working transformation in your life, the first thing that comes is reprove. 
it's this, it's this almost like the picture is like a picture of a light shining. And suddenly you're like, uh, ungodliness in my life, in the way I think or the way I act. And sometimes the light shines on places that we're just ignorant of. We just don't know. I, I know there's things in the Bible still to today that I read it and I go, oh, wow. I didn't understand that before. Then sometimes the light shines in places where we're just blind. It's like ungodliness is in our life and we look down and we're like, ugh. Like God's word sort of shines a light and you're like, um, that's ugly. It's ungodliness. It's not what God would have for me or desire for my life. Sometimes God shines his light and reproof on places of ungodliness that we like to deny. We're just like, not a problem. Don't look over here. And then the light of God's word convicts us and now we see it clearly and we're like, I can't deny this any longer. Reprove is to see the way that God sees and to see that there's places in my life that are ungodly. Then you move next and the next sign that you get to, the next move of transformation is rebuke. And rebuke now is is it, the, the idea of rebuke is, is disapproval. See, re- rebuke, what it does is it calls you to stop. Rebuke, basically, you see ungodliness for what it is, and then what you have now is you have this call to go, stop, just drop it. Like, just let it go. Like, like, say no to ungodliness. There's an affection that comes when we respond to rebuke. And we just, we just, want, we just want to let it go. I, I, think of, I think of Hebrews 12 where it says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. But let, let, me just, let me just be clear to you right now on this point. I think rebuke gets misunderstood a lot in the church. Rebuke is not the harsh correction of an angry parent. It is an invitation to freedom from your loving father. I believe there's some people in here that in the midst of wrestling with their own sin and brokenness and ungodliness that they know that God's word rebukes in their life or maybe because of the way it's been dealt with by a spiritual leader in your life, it can happen to all of us. Maybe in the way that it got addressed as uh, your parents dealt with this subject in your life and we start to believe that rebuke is the harsh correction of an angry parent. It's not. It's an invitation to freedom from your loving father. See, as opposed to being like, oh gosh, I, I need to get rid of this. And, and, and immediately this sort of rush of shame and guilt instead to understand the graciousness and the love of God is to understand that God's like, just let it go. Like, through the power of the Spirit, I've given you the opportunity. You can let this go. You don't have to live like this. This isn't even your identity. I have something better for you. See the rebuke as a beckon to sanctification and purity and goodness. And just, and just let it go and drop it. That's rebuke. And when the graciousness is a part of our understanding, we'll walk through transformation with greater zeal. 
And this gets us finally to exhort, to exhort. And when you get to this place, see, also, also in the church, what happens too often is, is that we talk a lot about reprove and rebuke. This is, this, is why, this is why if you've ever been around a follower of Jesus Christ and, and, and your and you're sort of like overall impression of them afterwards is, they're angry. They just seem angry about everything. And even if they talk about angry, they get angry. Like, they're just angry. That's because they've gotten to reprove and rebuke and they just bounce between reprove and rebuke and they're like, so much ungodliness, so much sin in their own heart, rightly, rightly, but they don't move to exhort. See, exhort is encouragement. Exhort is I'm drawing you forward to something. Exhort is I'm taking that ungodliness that you've dropped and I'm having you take up godliness. It's the, it's the warmth of restored relationship with Jesus. It's the joy of salvation. It's the purity that comes from walking in the way that God calls us to. It's the victory that comes even in moments of taking something up that God has taught you and being like, this is so good for my soul. It's exhort. It, it, it's restored relationship. That's what godliness is. The only place you get to godliness, friends, is not by trying to do more right things. It's by walking in the restored relationship that you have with Jesus Christ because of his death on the cross and because of his grace. And out of that relationship, he enables you and empowers you through the work of his spirit to follow him and then be made more like him. That is joy. That is joy. That is not just bouncing back and forth between reprove and rebuke. We have to walk people through all of it. We have to see these sort of signposts in the, a path of transformation. Listen, the grace of the gospel calls you to more than freedom from ungodliness. It invites you to godliness. It invites you to godliness. And it's lived out and it's found in relationship with Christ. It's empowered by God's spirit so that I can walk forward in God's spirit and it's living out this script of God's word over my life as a child of God, as a citizen of God's kingdom that through Jesus is broken into the world. That is encouraging. That is the sort of truth that causes me to be stirred up and want to know God's word more deeply. That is a supernatural, Trinitarian gospel transformation. And we've got to include all three of these words in preaching or it is incomplete. And, and, and to be totally honest, listen, still learning, there are moments when I step out of the pulpit and I went and I think, Good here, uh, here, really missed it there. But, but, but listen, let's, let's, let's strive for the balance of these three. Let's continue to strive for it. Let's continue to go after it. And there are some passages in Scripture that are heavier on one than the other, certainly. But we have to make sure our teaching follows the pattern. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. 
Kevin Van Hooser in his uh, a book, Hearers and Doers, he sums it up beautifully. He wrote, disciples must do more than follow moral prescriptions. They must live out their citizenship of the gospel, embodying and enacting the mind of Christ. Just, just, just look at that. That is compelling. And, and bold preaching is for that end. Not so that we would follow moral prescriptions, but so that the gospel would authentically transform our lives and that you and I would live as though we're gospel citizens and, and we'd be embodying and enacting the mind of Christ. And I see the sweetness of that happening in our church. Listen to God's word and preach God's word to that end, to that end. Lead to transformation. Preach God's word boldly. Finally, this one. Endure with loving care. I want to make sure that you understand <clears throat> that in this verse, this statement at the end is so essential and so often missed. It this, this, this end with complete patience and teaching. I actually love the translation in the NIV, if you have that version of the Bible. They translate teaching as careful instruction. I love it. It really represents the character of the word. And this statement, I want you to see, is meant to clarify all of the previous statements of what we've talked about. In all of this that I've said, all of it, preaching in and out of season, preaching God's word, preaching and leading for transformation, and all of it, endure with loving care. Another word um, that's translated in different places in the scriptures for complete patience is this word. You're going to want to write this one down. Long suffering. Long suffering. <clears throat> The work, listen, I, I think that oftentimes um, the message that, that gets, um, the message that gets portrayed about the Bible, um, I think sometimes tends to be a little overly simplistic and a little idealistic. Does that make sense? Like, like I, I think that sometimes we talk about the word and we're just like, just, just, just learn the word and everything will work out. Just, just know the right verses and it, it'll all just come together. And like I said last week in the mission, and I want to say again this week, the only reason why loving care is needed is because the work of God's word is messy. <clears throat> it's complex and it's difficult. I mean, the illustration that's used for God's word is a sword that that cuts to the very division of soul and spirit. I've said in our church in the past, that is a violent, bloody picture. And I think sometimes, like, we, we think that transformation is sort of this, like, magical incantation. It's like verses are like little spells that I just speak over people and they just naturally move to obedience. No, 
the word of God faces resistance. It, it doesn't always come in the same way. It, it works in people differently based on their own bent and their, the way that God's working in their hearts and their spirits. It's supernatural, yes, and, and, and sometimes the, 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 the fruit is produced immediately and sometimes it requires long suffering in the truth coming again and again and again to a human heart before finally it's received. Because what's happening in some situations when the word of God comes to bear, I know because these, some of the people in this room have sat in uh, community groups with me and in counseling rooms with me and, <clears throat> and sometimes there's been some people in this room who I've sat in the room and you've been counseling me. And if we believe that that sin leads to slavery. We, we have to understand also then that, that what's happening when God's word is coming is it's sometimes carefully and sometimes slowly drawing someone out of slavery. And just because the chains are off their hands does not mean that they still don't feel the weight of the chains. It has an impact and some of the hurt that's been inflicted by sin or by the world still has this sort of impact that sort of hangs over our life and it's just not as clean as we want to make it sometimes, as I want to make it sometimes. Transformation for some people will never be complete in this life. And that's, that's so difficult sometimes for us to understand. And I, and I think it's because we haven't given ourselves in the church this, this category to think about change that's incomplete. We, we, just, we just want it to be complete, maybe because that, that looks best for our testimony time. But it doesn't look right for how we should love people. Sometimes the lesson has to be taught again and again and again and again and there's like this much growth. Long-suffering does not abandon truth, but it also cannot abandon patience. And last week I shared about my own struggle at times with impatience. Impatience in communication and impatience in leadership and how it's hurt people at times. And into that tender place where God's work is, God's word is working on my heart. Where, where the word of God is wanting to transform so much places of blindness, places of rebellion, places of denial, all of it. I have come to value more than ever the complete patience and careful instruction of some people around my life. Man, there's three people in particular that, that um, in my life have endured with loving care. Uh, most importantly, and the longest long-suffering has been my wife. Uh, Pastor Jeremy on our staff has been unbelievable. He is the very opposite of my personality in so many ways, and he has tenderly uh, cared for me and loved me. And actually another one that um, I, I have just again and again been so thankful for is Juliet Psalm. Some of you know her. She works here in our church. 
Those three people have not in any way withheld the searing heat of truth. But they've also been rich with loving care, completely patient, and they've carefully instructed and, 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 and spoken truth into my life. They've believed the best and they've given me space to grow. They've been both conviction and encouragement. God has used them powerfully. And we have to see in this passage that in our preaching of God's word, and we love to sort of, in, in the Christian evangelical world, we love to kind of pound our chest like, we're, we're standing for God's word. Are we in the same way, enduring with loving care? We all need it. Donald Guthrie observes this. And I've felt this and I've felt the back end of this. Christian reproof without the grace of long-suffering has often led to a harsh, censorious attitude intensely harmful to the cause of Christ. To rebuke without instruction is to leave the root cause of error untouched and getting to the root, church, walking with people carefully to see the root in God's time through the work of God's spirit so that God is glorified, not so that I have some, I want to appeal and I just want to, I want to be right with you, but I want to be right with God. It requires time and it requires careful, complete patience and careful instruction. And I am not there yet. We are not there yet. But God's word has given us this morning something to strive towards as a church. Endure with loving care. In every place where we preach God's word, in every opportunity, as we lead to transformation, we must also endure with loving care. Let patience and careful instruction run alongside and around and under this pillar in our church. Preach God's word boldly but never forget complete patience and careful instruction. Preach God's word boldly. Preach God's word. Prepare for any opportunity. Lead to transformation. Endure with loving care. Start with your life and then collectively let's come together and fulfill this in our church. And if that happens, that will be one piece of us fulfilling the mission that God has for us. Take, take stock of this. Make sure that God's word is being preached here before it comes out of here. Let's pray together. God, I'm asking that we would learn to preach to our hearts before we preach from our mouths. I, I pray, God, that we would know the power of your word. How you can use any opportunity. Father, I pray for the person this morning that, 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 just, that just is like, I'm, I'm preaching in the winter in this situation. I'm preaching in the, in the scorching heat of summer and, and, and it does not seem like there's going to be any fruit born from my efforts. God, give them the confidence of this verse that they don't need to understand the timing. They just need to be faithful. 
I pray, Father, that we would have clarity about the way God's word transforms us, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I pray that wherever we're at in that, that we would walk the path, that we would make sure we've come to every sign within the work that you're doing in our hearts through the word. I pray that when we, as parents or leaders or, or, or friends, as we're walking God's word into people's lives, that we would walk carefully to shine the light and then to encourage them to let go of what God has freed them from and then to exhort them forward. God, help us to walk through it carefully. And God, more than ever, I see how we need to endure with loving care. So I'm asking that you would lead us in that, guide us in that, and let that be the character and the nature of our preaching. Let it be bold, God, not just in the sense of our confidence and truth, but let it also be bold in our patience and in our careful instruction so that you might work and we might not get in the way of your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.